You're listening to Table Talk, where we share surprising stories from around the Bay Area. I'm Vivian, and in a moment you'll hear my boss, Steve, who some of you may know as Senator Glazer. I'm part of his team based in his Bay Area district. On today's episode, we'll be talking all about political corruption. We'll focus on the anti-pay-to-play law Steve authored to stop it through preventing elected officials from voting on issues that could benefit campaign contributors. The story also includes the recent lawsuit that tried to push back on that law and a Sacramento County Superior Court judge's decision to uphold the law in the face of that suit. We'll have interviews with three experts on this issue. This is our third episode. And Steve, what are we talking about today? Well, it's an exciting topic. It's corruption, (laughs) Vivian. I know it may not go really well with breakfast or lunch, maybe not even dinner, but corruption in politics is the the subject of the day. Yeah. And there's so the reason we're talking about corruption is this pay to play bill. What does that mean? What is pay to play? Well, uh, let me give you a little bit of the history. So you know, corruption in our government, it really, if you talk about the atmospherics, it, I guess, I think it started with Watergate on a national scale. And that really influenced uh, a lot of states to look at the issue of corruption uh, and to think about what they could do about it. In California, the voters passed the Political Reform Act of California in 1974, which put some limits on, on con- campaign contributions as one element and disclosure of those contributions. And then not, not a lot happened in the 70s until a, a state assembly member by the name of Mel Levine uh, saw some problems. And uh, that's where the history in California uh, is picked up again. And uh, let's talk to Congressman Levine. He can share that history with us. Congressman Mel Levine. Hello, Congressman. Nice to see you. More than 40 years ago, this issue of pay to play came into a, a, a being because of some things that you saw and did when you were in the state assembly in the 1970s. Could you recount what were you seeing and why did you uh, enact what is now known as the Levine Act. Yes, I actually remember it pretty clearly, despite the fact that it was some 40 years ago. Uh, this arose, at least to me, as a result of a, a L.A. Times uh, journalist. Um, I happen to remember who she was, um, and I and we became good friends, Claire Spiegel who was a very good reporter for the Los Angeles Times, did a story showing that uh, members of the State Coastal Commission uh, were receiving in a different capacity uh, in uh, individual members of the commission who also held elective office um, on city councils or or whatever, had developed a tendency to receive very generous campaign contributions from people who had an issue before the Coastal Commission. Um, And it was a very clear conflict of interest, uh, and there was no uh, sanction against um, that occurring. So I introduced the bill that would prohibit members of these appointed bodies to receive large campaign contributions uh, from people who had a direct interest in the result of the application uh, before the Coastal Commission. I broadened it so that it would, it started with the Coastal Commission, but I broadened it so that it would deal with any appointed body in the state of California 
uh, and any uh, applicant uh, for uh, uh, a result before that, uh, whatever the commission might be. Um, I wanted to completely bar contributions. A compromise was reached where I think that the, there was a, a, a small limit, a relatively small limit. I think we agreed to allow up to $250 contributions, but the um, uh, genesis of the problem was that people were getting huge contributions, which uh, certainly seemed like they would have affected uh, the the, uh, the the commissioner's vote, and we were able to put a stop to that. Well, it was a, a very impactful law. I know that your awareness and a lot of our awareness of, of corruption in government started with Watergate. And of course, the people of California passed the Political Reform Act in 1974, and then your service in the Assembly overlapped much of that to understand how we needed to do things better and smarter in terms of conflict of interest. So it's nice to have that history. I applaud your leadership. It certainly affected me was the foundation for the law that I, I, I proposed uh, to broaden your, your bill. And I appreciate Well, well I, I thank and compliment you for the work you've already done and are continuing to do. Um, it's very important. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you, for, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Well, it was certainly fun to uh, connect with the Congressman after so many years. Uh, he's uh, about to turn 80. But he's as sharp as can be and uh, certainly knows that history of that time so well. I appreciate him sharing it with us. So where does this story go now? So the law in California was that you had a, a limit on contributions and you had to disclose. And then the Levine Act comes into play where there's actually a conflict standard just for appointed officials. Uh, and that's it. Um, but uh, the enforcing agency for that, for those laws, is the Fair Political Practices Commission. Most people haven't heard of them. They're known as the FPPC. Um, and their chairman uh, is available to talk with us and share what they do and why. And, and that's uh, Chair Maddich. And let's, let's talk to him. Well, I, I'm joined by Chair Maddich from the Fair Political Practices Commission. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Senator. Appreciate having me. So those of us on the inside know a lot about, we recall, the FPPC, the, the, the commission in which you're the chair, but most people don't have any idea what it is and what you do. But could you describe what, what is the Fair Political Practices Commission? Sure. The, the Fair Political Practices Commission was actually created as part of the voters' adoption of the Political Reform Act of 1974. And that was really the landmark law here in California that put in place our elections, campaign finance restrictions that we have, and a number of our government ethics laws as well, conflicts of interest, pay to play, which is something we'll, we'll talk about. Um, and so it, it created the FPPC. We are a five-member commission. I'm the chair. There are four other commissioners. And what we do really is we administer, interpret, and enforce the campaign finance and ethics laws at the state and local level. And a part of that is disclosure. What does that mean, disclosure, from your point of view? Uh, what uh, candidates and politicians have to do. Yeah, it's a it's a key part of the Political Reform Act. And so when we talk about disclosure, we're talking about essentially who is paying to try and persuade voters to vote one way or another in an election, whether that be for a candidate, whether it's for a ballot measure. Um, and then with respect to ethics laws, uh, things like behested payments, gifts, every public official in California has to file an annual disclosure requirement uh, actually telling the public, these are the gifts I received or the payments I made, et cetera. 
So the thinking back in 1974 when the Political Reform Act was enacted by the voters is that they were trying to clean up politics, right? Find out who was contributing money, where the money was going, and having transparency about it. Is that, that's the essence of what was being attempted back then. That's right. It was a direct result of the Watergate and at that time, really a, a reduction in public trust in, in government. So we've been talking about this concept of pay to play, and it may be confusing to people again, because it's like uh, under your commission, there's limits of how much people can receive in campaign contributions. There's requirements to disclose who's giving you money. So why is this pay to play an issue? Well, the pay to play is, is, is an issue from our perspective, and it has been for, for quite some time here in California because of the appearance of undue influence that a contribution made to a public official who is making a decision on something that that contributor has before the public official close in time to the contribution. And the classic example is, you know, public official sits on a body that issues permits and, you know, I, I want a permit. And so I give that public official a contribution. The contribution may be lawful, but it puts the public official in a position where they may, may feel some obligation to vote a certain way favorable to that contributor. And from the public's perceptive, perception, excuse me, it, it, the perception there is you're buying access to the public official. You're, you're trying to essentially get a favorable outcome with that contribution. So I'm setting the stage for this new law that we're about to talk about. And that is, though, under current law, you have to disclose when someone gives you money. You can take a certain amount, uh, depending on what office you hold. It could be unlimited. It could have a limit of thousands of dollars. Uh, and they have to disclose it, meaning they have to provide reports to your agency that the public can get, go and look at and see. Um, and so now the question is, so what's the problem and why did we need this new law that we're talking about today? What does this new law do and, and why was it necessary? Yeah, th this new law really, I think, uh, closes an important gap in prior law. And so under prior law, um, if you were a state appointee to a state board, like think about the Coastal Commission, for example, and you were running for public office, contributors to your campaign for local office, you would have to disclose and recuse yourself under the prior law from voting on any permits from those contributors before the Coastal Commission. But there was no similar requirement in existing law before your bill, Senator, that would have applied that to local office holders. And I think that was that was a huge gap in prior law. Most permits, entitlements for use, et cetera, are issued at the local level. And there was nothing uh, prior to your bill that would have prohibited people from making contributions close in time to a matter that was being voted on by, a, by an official. So under the old law, if you were an appointed official, you had to have limitations as to what you could take and vote. But if you were an elected leader at the local level, the 99% of everybody else out there making decisions about developer contracts or licenses or entitlements, uh, there was no limitation in terms of you could take the money and disclose it, but you could take the money. And so under this new law now, it says what? You can't take the money? Well, you have an option. You can you can take the money, but then you have to disqualify yourself from and recuse yourself from voting on that matter when it comes before you. If you want to keep some measure of the money, you then have a lower contribution limit for those uh, parties that have matters directly before you. So let's say the contribution limit is $1,000. If you received a $1,000 contribution from somebody with a permit before you, you have to return 750 because the limit becomes 250 for those folks with business before you. So, so you have both options. So that means that if you took the money and you, you can't vote on the project, if there's a financial interest that's tied to it, so it, it cleans that up. That's right. 
And it seems like that has bothered a few folks out there in the world of, uh, in our state. I know there was a lawsuit to, uh, to invalidate it that just got recently decided. Uh, it seems to have made a few folks uncomfortable. Yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, and we can see. I mean, part of the impetus for this bill is you see in the news uh, in Los Angeles, unfortunately, several examples of, of, of council people, former council members, uh, receiving contributions from people with with contracts and and other things before the body, and continuing to vote their way. Um, you see it in other jurisdictions. So this. This was a problem. We saw a corresponding reduction, I think, in the public's trust in local government, which is critical. That is the closest form of government representation to most people or their local officials. And so this bill, I think, is going to help restore confidence uh, in the impartiality of local government decision making. Well, thank you, Chair Maddich. Thanks for uh, all the work you do to uh, build trust in government, that uh, people can have confidence in the work that the politicians are doing. And that comes from the oversight of the Fair Political Practices Commission, and we appreciate what you do. All right. Thank you, Senator. I appreciate it. You know, the Fair Political Practices Commission is that neutral arbiter of what's right and wrong uh, in state government and politicians, uh, and they've been doing an effective job for quite a long time. But there's more to this story, though. Uh, it's not that uh, we're all operating in a vacuum. There's a history of problems in California, and there's no group uh, better than Common Cause who's been involved in following that history of corruption and pay to play to continue this story. And so we're going to talk now with Laurel uh, Brodzinski, who's the legislative director of Common Cause, to get us up to date about how big of a problem is this really in our communities. Hello, Laurel. Hi, Senator. How are you? Great. Thank you for being a part of this conversation today. You know, I know about Common Cause. Common Cause was an incredible partner on this pay to play uh, legislation. You're the legislative director uh, of Common Cause. Tell us, though, for people who aren't so informed, what, who is Common Cause? Yeah. So Common Cause is a nonpartisan organization that really for the past 50 years has been dedicated to building a democracy that includes and works for everyone. So that means we work on everything from voting rights and redistricting reform to government transparency and impact of money in politics with the goal here really to be to end structural inequities and create governments that are accountable to and reflective of California's communities. And you're a nonpartisan organization. You don't get involved in the political uh, give and take of our partisan political world. Yes, that's correct. And uh, so you were partners in helping uh, pass this, this legislation, this anti-corruption legislation. And, and a part of the storytelling that Common Cause was so good at was to talk about the examples of corruption that they have seen legal and not so uh, legal around California. Can you share some of those examples that, that Common Cause has, uh, has recorded? Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, really over the years, we've seen instances of campaign contributions that are engaging in what we call pay to play uh, by individuals and groups with business before local elected officials up and down the state for years. So to give just a few examples you know, we saw in Huntington Park, there was over the course of three years, over a third of campaign contributions to the city council members were coming from just eight companies that had contracts pending before the city. These contracts were for things like IT services, transportation services, legal services. 
But also what was really interesting was the timing of these contributions. Um, an investigation by KCET found that most of them were being contributed to the city council members right before or right after key city council votes on these contracts or contract renewals. And so for people not aware, KCET is the public television station in Los Angeles. And these contributions were legal under the law uh, at that time. Is that right? Yes, they were legal under the law at that time, as long as they're, you know, properly disclosed in uh, campaign finance reporting to the FPPC. Very good. And what other examples that you might note? Yeah. So a couple other examples include um, in 2021 in the city of El Monte, uh, we saw cannabis vendors contributing over $100,000 to the mayor and a few city council members. And then following those contributions, the vendors received exclusive, uh, exclusive commercial licenses to sell cannabis in the city. And so while there wasn't evidence of direct corruption, definitely there seemed to be ties there. Um, and then in another example, uh, in 2015, uh, the real estate de developer and owner of the Rams NFL team and some of his affiliated entities contributed over 100K to Inglewood's mayor and to uh, Inglewood council members. And those three elected officials made up majority of votes on Inglewood city council needed to approve the permits to build what's now, you know, the newest and most expensive stadium in the NFL. And actually the community called out the mayor on this and said, this doesn't seem okay to us um, and really appears like corruption. And he stated publicly in news articles that the contributions weren't technically illegal. And so he said, you know, because I've disclosed them, there's really no issue here. There's no problem. So those are, uh, you know, stunning examples. And I know there were many more that were provided in legislative testimony. Um, so under the, this pay to play law that's now in effect, what would have happened in those three examples that you gave? Would they have been able to give those contributions and maybe better yet, would the individuals who received them been able to vote on those contracts, licenses, et cetera? Yeah. So in all of these examples, uh, which are related to contracts, licenses, and permits that are before the elected officials, what SB 1439 would have done was limit the amount of the contribution to $250 and really create this blackout period of before, during, and for a year after the decision um, so that the, the parties wouldn't have been able to give a contribution over 250 during that time. Or if they did and the elected official found out um, and found out that they were going to have this vote coming up, they would get the opportunity to uh, recuse themselves from the vote or return that contribution. Well, Laurel, you've done a great uh, explanation for why Common Cause has been engaged in this issue for a long, long time, uh, trying to build trust in government and try to end this legal um, pay-to-play things that have, that have gone on for, for quite a while. SB 1439, of course, was the name of the law that, uh, that went into effect. Uh, Laurel Bredzinski, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, and thank you at Common Cause for all your work advancing good government. Thank you. So we just heard from Common Cause and the things that they were seeing, the actual real-life corruption that, that goes on in California, and that's just a small example of it. Um, is that why you started thinking about expanding this law last year? Exactly. I mean, Common Cause gave a couple of examples, Laurel did, but there were so many more. 
now, you certainly had illegal corruption in Los Angeles where council members have been indicted. You've had that happen on the state level with the state legislature as well. So I've seen all of that. And it, 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 it struck me that you know, this legal corruption is just not good, not good for public trust, that the decisions we make are you know, doing it for the right reasons. And so that did lead me to author Senate Bill 1439, which is this anti-pay-to-play, uh, anti-corruption measure that uh, has, has led us to the, the current moment. Yeah. And was that difficult or easy to put through? Well, uh, it, the bill passed unanimously in both houses. And I think because it's in the sunshine. So all the interest groups that were concerned about it didn't want to raise an objection because it would, it would draw attention to who they were. And so we didn't have a difficult time getting it through the legislature and signed by the governor. But as soon as it went into effect on January 1st, everything changed. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, now you ha- there's this lawsuit, which is the latest, but I mean, that's kind of telling that the people that are against it don't want anyone to know that they're against it. What well, does that mean? Um, well, it, that worked until the law went into effect and then they sued. So the biggest interest groups in the state, uh, numerous ones sued to stop this law. And uh, luckily a Superior Court judge uh, uh, this spring ruled that their lawsuit against the, the, the anti-corruption measure um, didn't have any standing and uh, didn't have any merit. And that case may still be appealed. Um, so they're trying to do everything they can to get that pay-to-play scheme back in play uh, in local government. And we're going to have to stay vigilant to uh, to keep it in place. Yeah. And what does that look like? I mean, what comes next? Well, uh, I, I think we, we did have to narrow the bill. Uh, so I do think that we could make it more expansive, uh, bring more other decisions into play for uh, avoiding a conflict of interest and corruption. And I do, uh, I am looking at ways in which I can expand it, uh, but uh, it's not easy to do. But the public is paying attention and trust in government is fundamental to our democracy. And I hope that those who are listening and others uh, that we connect with will stay uh, attuned to this so that we can ensure that uh, we uh, advance honest government in every, every place uh, in our democracy. So what's the difference between um, like a mayor taking an outright bribe for something versus just taking a donation and then voting that way or putting making that decision? Well, there's always been a law against quid pro quo agreements. I do this for you if you do this for me. So that's always been illegal. Um, but the campaign contribution uh, activities have always been the workaround if you don't uh, connect it directly to that favor. But in, in, in reality, um, if you're giving money and they're, they're gonna vote on your contract, uh, it's as close as it, you can get to that, that line without going over. And this new law uh, moves to that line. It's no longer a quid pro quo, an over quid pro quo. Now, if you get anything over 250, you just can't, you can't vote on it. You have to recuse yourself. So it's moved the line and made it brighter. Um, but that's the difference uh, between what had been illegal quid pro quo, what had been legal but uh, questionable, making a contribution and then getting a specific uh, legislative favor. And now the fact that you just can't have anybody vote on anything where you've received a sizable contribution period. Yeah. Do you think that you'll ever, or do you think there's a need or not a need to expand that to state legislators? I think there's a need to create those conflict standards as strong and high as we can go in, in all of state and federal government for that matter. 
Um, if, if people lose confidence in our decisions, you know, everything breaks down and it's, it's fragile. You know, things can, democracies come and go. We should never take ours for granted. And part of that is in, ensuring confidence in government and government decision makers, senators, assembly members, council members, supervisors, Congress people. I mean, that's what we have to do. And it's, it's an ongoing fight because there's uh, folks who want to influence it uh, through their, their wealth and, and their connections. And we continue to battle to make sure that the people's will really wins out. Uh, I guess to wrap it up, um, are there any final thoughts that you have? Just that on our website, we have some links uh, to the, the bill, uh, to some commentaries that I've done that people are interested in. And I just hope that they continue to uh, support this measure at the local level. Uh, tell your local elected officials to do their best work and don't take the money. if They're going to vote on a, an interest that uh, has, has contributed to them. It's now a bright line and we need everybody to follow it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Table Talk. If you'd like to learn more about pay to play and the lawsuit, you can visit Steve's website, as he mentioned, at sd07.senate.ca.gov. And while you're there, check out the rest of our episodes of Table Talk and make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. Thanks to the Fair Political Practices Commission, Common Cause, and Congressman Mel Levine for being part of this episode. This episode was produced, mixed, and mastered by Vivian Busu-Skinner.